Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So we've known for a long time that George Soros is dedicated to destroying our nation. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. Unplugged. Welcome to episode 24 of The Middle Unplugged. I'm Anthony Weiner. Here we have a break in the middle of the week when we reclaim the microphone from the far left and the far right. We try to carve out some time for a less shrill, less extreme, and generally less angry conversation. So the cast of characters for the Trump is arrested, finally drama is set. Putting aside the thousands of talking heads like me, the expert lawyers that get called in for their TV hits, of the two parties you can expect, Trump and not brag to be doing most of the yelling from here on out. It's not a great strategy but for Trump, but Bragg and his lawyers will do most of their talking through the legal papers, I'm sure. The president will be doing his tweeting and truthing. I mean, the timing was a little bit of a surprise. And it was also interesting the indictment remained a secret till the very last minute. But from the sounds on the internet and coming out of the mouth of Trump and his allies, there is one more silent player in this Shakespearean drama. One more that to hear some of us, some of them tell it, kind of lurks just off stage. His name is George Soros. Let me read you some of the quotes. It took me like five minutes. I put in a Republican statements containing the name George Soros. And I came up with President Trump. The Manhattan, this is one of the things, Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg, who is handpicked and funded by George Soros, is a disgrace. That's on March 30th. I knew the price I'd have to pay for running a campaign that promised to take on the deep state, the open borders lobby, and the Soros money machine. That's 31st. And I think I found 41 different House members who had tweeted something with Bragg calling him Soros-backed or Soros-funded or the Soros DA. And Governor Santa DeSantis referred to, quote, the Soros-backed Manhattan district attorney in his statement saying that he would refuse extradition. I guess if DeSantis is refusing extradition, can we call Florida a sanctuary state? We're putting that aside for a moment. Before we talk about the connection between Bragg and Soros and why it actually might not be such a bad thing to talk about, a word or two about who George Soros is. A Hungarian Jew, who an emigre who lives in upstate New York. Let's go to our number of the week. He's given away $32 billion. <laughs> so he's earned the nomaker philanthropist in nearly every biography. I wonder what the minimum amount you have to give away before you get that as your title. He made his money as a currency speculator. Google the term, the man who brought down the Bank of England, and you'll find out his story. It's just, it reads a little bit just like he shorted the pound sterling back in the day and made a bunch of money doing it. He survived the Holocaust. He fled communism which seems to have informed much of his philanthropy. He gives a bunch of money to education and human rights programs. He's in 120 countries with his Open Society Foundation. He's a liberal, no doubt about that. His involvement here in the United States has recently been heavily skewed on the side of criminal justice reform. And that's how we get to this whole notion of the district attorney of Manhattan being backed or funded Let's just 
break it down this way. Bragg was never funded by George Soros. George Soros did not give money to Bragg. And Soros says he never met Bragg, never had a Zoom call, never had a telephone call with him. There were relatives of George Soros who did donate to Alvin Bragg's campaign. And when Bragg says that he was handpicked, I mean, when Trump said he was handpicked by Bragg and funded by George Soros, both of those things are probably not true. Now, this whole question of whether he is backed is a little bit of a grayer area. George Soros does donate to an organization called Color of Change, which is dedicated to criminal justice reform. And by and large, that's where they give. And also seems to be seems to support a lot of candidates of color. Fairly late in the primary for Manhattan District Attorney, they endorsed Bragg. But they endorsed him in May, and the primary election was in June. This was hardly an early pick. And Soros's contribution did not come in until very late in that campaign. Now, it was a fairly close race, but to say that Soros was the difference in that race or to even say that he directly backed him is a little bit of a stretch. But you can, I guess, kind of say that Soros definitely does back efforts for criminal justice reform to make sure that people go to to prison only for the things that they actually did, that we don't have a system that incarcerates large numbers of a certain race and, and has police reform and things like that. So that's a completely fair thing to say. But Soros as the enemy didn't begin with that tenuous connection, the enemy of the right. There's a vast world out there that has been increasing with this notion of Soros as the villain that has gone really completely bonkers and off the hook as the white supremacy crazies have been given a bigger microphone in the Trump years. And you can say that Soros's big break as the villain came when he was the center of conspiracy theories around the neo-Nazi rally in Charlottesville in 2017. The most tenuous connection there is, is Soros donated to a gubernatorial candidate in Virginia, a guy named Piorello, who I served with, I think, briefly. One of Piorello's staffers had access, you know, was at the rally or had access of videotape of the rally, and somehow they said this conspiracy theory came to be formed that Soros was behind this rally to make Donald Trump look bad. And needless to say, nowadays, it was an Alex Jones production. Then a little bit later on, after that became kind of a thing on right wing, on the right wing internet, then he was accused of funding the mass migration of Hondurans that came in 2018. You remember this, this migrant caravan just before the midterm elections? Fox News had this crazy narrative with frequent pronouncements that Soros wanted open borders and unrestricted migration. And Trump kind of amplified this in ways like basically, you know, you've got to stop this Trump caravan. And I should say that, no, Soros does not want open borders and does not want unrestricted migration. I won't go into into the ways these theories were created. I mean, I did give you that Piorello, that example in Charlottesville, but they were being used by Trump and Trump-like figures in other countries. What made Soros particularly attractive for the white supremacists, the neo-Nazis, and the right-wing strongmen like Viktor Orban in his home country of Hungary, 
or the country he fled from after to flee from communism, was that Soros is Jewish. But that's also what made it very dangerous. You know, when pipe bombs started showing up all over the country at homes of Democratic officials, that was in, I think, also in 2018, the crazy idea that Republicans would never do this and therefore someone else must have been responsible, it was Soros that they blamed. Oh, by the way, did I mention that Soros also got one of these pipe bombs? Anyhow, it turned out that it was a 50-year-old Florida man named Cesar, the Florida man again, named Cesar Sayak. And you remember his motivation in his social media posts and, and writings, his hate for George Soros. And then 11 days after the migrant caravan conspiracy theory first was floated and started to take hold, and five days after the pipe bomb was delivered to Soros's house, a guy named Robert Bowers, a guy who on social media revealed that he believed in an anti-Semitic theory about white genocide and white replacement, he walked into a synagogue in Pittsburgh and murdered 11 Jews. He had written about his belief that George Soros was the mastermind of this white supremacy, this white hate theory. So there we have a, quite this cocktail of a real actual figure, an actual rich person who was working hard for the things he believes in, democracy, strong civic institutions, fair elections, reform of outdated criminal justice programs. And on the other side, there are politicians and some of them even heads of state who oppose him. And behind these politicians are a base of support, which has latched on to the other thing about this man, his Jewishness. So when ADL went and did a study of anti-Semitism online and found that it was exploding, that we knew, but we found that they also found that a lot of it was Soros related. So what do we do about it? You know, because people like Trump who have used the Soros dog whistle for his supporters, what he does is fairly transparent, but Many have said, in good faith or not, I'll leave it out there, that we can't make George Soros off limits just because people say crazy things about him. Well, the most obvious thing that we can do is what politicians used to do whenever their supporters got out over their skis. I got to ask you a question. I do not uh, believe in, I can't trust Obama. I, I have read about him, and he's not, he's not, he's a, um, he's an Arab. He is not. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. He's a, he's a, he's a decent family man, citizen that I just happen to have disagreements with on, on fundamental issues. I mean, that's the ideal. The ideal is that even if you're criticizing Soros as a political figure, as the leader in civic life, you turn to your supporters and say, don't get too, you know, this anti-Semitism stuff is bull. And then you proceed to criticize Soros and his policies. But that's probably not going to happen in today's world because they seem to be working hand in glove. But I'd like to propose another way to deal with the Soros thing. Prevent him from using his money in American politics. Now, hear me out on this. You know, Democrats, we have our own boogeymen. The Koch brothers spent hundreds of millions of dollars in dark money trying to influence U.S. elections, trying to influence policy debates. For decades, it's been mostly Democrats who have been decrying this idea of money awash in politics and rich people, rich institutions, rich businesses having undue sway. What about the Shut Up Soros Act? 
What about going to the right, who have seen Soros as a legitimate, in their view, boogeyman for policy reasons, and say, look, we have our people we want to quiet down too. Generally speaking, there are too many policy debates that are dominated by people with big wallets. Maybe we can finally reach the moment that the Republicans see that's in their interest to take the Citizens United case and reverse it with codification of campaign finance laws. There's nothing stopping Congress from saying no. Businesses are, we can't fix Buckley v. Vallejo or come up with reasonable restrictions. We can do that kind of a thing. And, you know, transparency rules about, you know, where the dark money is coming from. I mean, for decades, it has been mostly Democrats who have been complaining about this because we had been getting outspent. Now, it seems like the shoe is on the other foot. There is a lot of spending that's going on by left interests that is also dark money, that is also hard to track, that is also trying to influence campaigns. In the case of George Soros, he definitely realized correctly that prosecution races are important things if you care about reform of the criminal justice system. So what about it? What about going to these Republicans and saying, we finally have some common ground? We have our boogeymen, you have yours. We can both agree that there's too much money awash in politics that's unregulated and it's drowning out the views of regular Americans. Look, George Soros is a good man, in my belief, who wants to make the country and the world better. Maybe his greatest contribution is to be the man that Republicans were so eager to shut up that they finally got religion on getting the money out of politics. And we'll be right back with Listener Mail. And welcome back. Here on The Middle Unplugged, we like to dip into the mailbag. If you want to reach out to me on at Rep Wiener, R-E-P-W-E-I-N-E-R on Twitter, WienerWABC at gmail.com. I also have a Facebook page, Anthony D. Wiener, and you could always call in on the weekends on my show, The Middle, and ask a question. But this is what the way that we try to keep the communication two ways as much as possible in the podcast form. And today the letter comes from Laura in Tottenville, and she's talking about something that I spoke about on last week's radio show. Just take the money part of it. Quote, I heard you complain about people being kicked off of Medicaid. Isn't fewer people not bankrupting the country good and not bad? Well, Laura on Staten Island is referring to the idea that starting on April 1st, basically Medicaid was going to end for about 15 million people who could lose their coverage. And that is a result of changes that were made during the COVID emergency that basically expanded our safety net in ways that dramatically reduced poverty and need for the first time in about 60 years. We increased food assistance for kids, increased financial support for middle class and lower income families. And we also expanded the eligibility for Medicaid in a temporary way. We allowed basically folks in states that hadn't expanded it to have the entire bill footed by the federal government. And now that's changing and as many as 15 million people could lose their coverage as a result. But the question touches on, frankly, something, an important misunderstanding that people have about the idea that when people lose their insurance coverage, that somehow saves us all a lot of money. That's not the case at all. And I want you to visualize what actually happens when someone who is uninsured has a health care need. Well, one thing, when it comes to something like COVID or tuberculosis or an infectious disease, 
they're less inclined to go into a doctor's office, have less access to those doctor's offices. So they keep going to work, keep getting on buses. They don't go to a doctor because they don't have coverage. They're less inclined to do that. And they wind up making the rest of us sick. That's one thing that happened. But let's take the case of someone who is walking across the street, gets hit by a bus, and has no insurance. Well, EMS still gets called. The doctors come, the emergency workers come, they take them to emergency room. At the emergency room, doctors still gather around the gurney. You have nurses who attend to them. They have tests that are done. They try to patch the person back together again. And what winds up happening with all of those costs? Well, it's not like the bill fairy pays them. If they have insurance coverage, then their insurance company then starts a process of arguing with the hospital and everything else about how much they're going to pay. But someone winds up paying for it. There's some uncovered expense that exists. But if the person has no insurance, frankly, the hospital winds up eating that cost. And in most cases, that means that the costs go up for the rest of us because that's the way aggregation of insurance works. The more people that are in the pool, the lower the cost is for everyone. Or in the case of a public hospital or a nonprofit hospital, the state winds up picking it up. So we wind up paying more in taxes. This idea that somehow the fact that people are uninsured is only the problem of the uninsured is one of the great fallacies of the healthcare system and, the, and how people understand healthcare. The more people that are covered, the more the risk is spread out, the less we all pay. Now, you can make a very good argument, and I make it all the time, that we should just take the insurance company part out of it and just say universal health care for everyone, meaning we have a line in the budget for health care, we have everyone that is covered, and then we kind of treat it as a, as a right. We have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, included in life and happiness is obviously to be healthy. We don't say that people have a right to, some people have a right to be healthy and other people do not. But for the purpose of this conversation, for Laura's note, saying, well, simply because we've kicked them off Medicaid, have we somehow saved a bunch of money? No, if those people don't find insurance, the costs are going to get passed on to all of us. So that's the answer to listener mail. If you'd like, as I said, to send me a note, drop me a line, you can always do that. Also, we really appreciate you supporting the podcast by sharing it with others, subscribing to it if you haven't already, letting people know about it. Podcast is really a word of mouth kind of medium. We really do encourage you to do that word of mouth. And also, if you'd like another dose of a similar type of programming, we have The Middle is a radio show I do every Saturday at 2 o'clock on WABC Radio and at wabcradio.com. You can get that in the form of a podcast as well. It comes in a different feed. That's The Middle with Anthony Weiner. You can get all of the podcast offerings from the Red Apple Podcast Network, including mine and the other talent that is here at 77 WABC, the on-air hosts, as well as people who specialize just in podcasts, encourage you to do that as well. Really do appreciate all of your support. And this marks the end of The Middle Unplugged. <laughs>